Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Napa know-how. Get all the quality parts you need at your locally owned Napa. Because right now, when you order from Napa online, you can pick up curbside at your local store in just 30 minutes. Or get your order delivered direct to your door with free one-day shipping and over 160,000 quality parts when you spend $35 or more. Quality parts delivered quickly and safely. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. At participating stores, standard ground shipping and exclusions apply. It's that little Chico Pitbull, Mr. 305, but it said Mr. Worldwide, and you already know what it is. Listen to my new podcast from Negative to Positive. Subscribe today. Now, part of the things that we're doing over here at Negative to Positive is encouraging people to change their lives, change the things that are within their power. I want to thank our good friends at KFC for helping me bring this to you. Feed your whole crew with KFC. Let's go. I can get the KFC bucket of chicken, and you know, that's fire. Now, Babo, you know that you can get that mac and cheese, that mashed potato, gravy, those biscuits. Now, that's that's trouble right there. That is fire right there. You know, on Negative to Positive, we're always talking about striving and achievement. And, and the Colonel Sanders story is, is a story that inspired me since I was 10 years old. Look how life comes full circle. Now I'm talking about Colonel Sanders and Kentucky Fried Chicken and how much I love it. <laughs> Listen to my new podcast from Negative to Positive. Check out the vodcast. Subscribe today. Apple Podcast. Podcast One. Spotify. here with a very special guest today, a fellow sweaty, a man in so many comic properties. I am proud to welcome David Desmalchian. Hello. Hi. How you doing, man? I'm awesome. How are you guys? Thanks for having me on today. Very excited. Very excited. We're you... so glad you're here. You also represent like one of us on the inside, and that makes us very happy. Thank you. Thanks. <laughs> well, it's feel, it's a, this, is a, this is like the, the, the friendly confines of home, being around a bunch of people. We were just before the camera even started rolling, I feel like, talking about long boxes and comic books. So there you go. <laughs> but it's awesome to be here. Thanks for having me, guys. But you're also here because you are many multi-talented and you've just written or have written a movie that is now coming out everywhere. Yes. Very, yes, very soon. Very All soon. creatures here below. Yeah, May 17th. Yeah, all creatures here below. Yeah, thank you very much. It's really exciting. You know, we made the film. I wrote it um, in 14, and then we shot it in 16, and now it's 19. So the journey is long. That's quite a road, yeah. Um, and uh, and it feels, it's it's nerve-wracking. This is that time in the process that is, it's very exciting, and you you know, you're, you know, audiences are going to finally going to get a chance to see this this story that you've told but it also is it's it's horrifying because it's like it's your baby um for lack of a better term <laughs> it's your baby that you're gonna put out into the world and um and it's a difficult film it's a tricky film it's a film that has lots of layers to it it's really complicated and it's um it's a film that i think it really challenges audiences and it's very shocking and so there's a lot of stuff that you go you just have to trust you know and um i'm so proud of the people that came together to make it so i'm excited to share it with the world and we've gotten you know distribution from one of my favorite uh, uh film companies the sam goldwyn company that that is putting this movie out into the world so that it's just the, the, the miracles have, that have happened in getting this film to a release are beyond, um, I can't count anymore, you know? 
and Sam Goldwyn seeing that logo when the movie movie queued up, there's such a warm, positive, like there's so much of our childhood in that in that world and there, that, that iconic logo as it swoops <laughs> in. When you were building this movie, how did you see it landing? Like, did you imagine this big of a release? Like, where did you see it going? I didn't. I didn't know. I just. I. I thought that you know it's it, it i knew as we were filming i was like well this is definitely because the nature of the story and the way that things unfold in it it's not what you traditionally call a commercial film <laughs> it doesn't have a commercial yeah. plot um so i was optimistic and hopeful that people would get to see it probably at film festivals mm -hmm. and then you you know you hope that uh that after it's a film festival run, which is generally where an art house film like this gets a lot of its audience and then word of mouth would grow and build and um and so that kind of is what happened. You know, we got to premiere downtown Los Angeles last fall, and then we've gotten to play at Glasgow and in Kansas City and some really wonderful places. But a player like Sam Goldwyn, you know, coming along, having a company of that nature see our film and say, we believe in this movie and we want to help you share it with the world, that I didn't see coming. And it really, um, it really blew me away in a beautiful way, and I'm just, uh, I'm so thrilled and honored and i can't wait for you know this is such an interesting time um in the career trajectory of the triple threat that is karen gillen because she's <laughs> an actor as we all know yeah. i mean her scope she's like uh she's like a daniel day lewis i believe she's transformative in that way that she embodies characters that you don't recognize from film to film so if you look at oculus or you look at um doctor who or selfie and then you watch what she does as nebula or in jumanji then you look at her own film, which she wrote and directed mm -hmm. and starred in, Party's yeah. Just Beginning. That's a person that we've never seen her, you know, even there's no hint of any of her other characters in that. And then what she did for All Creatures Here Below is yet another fully realized embodiment of somebody that she's never, um, she's never in, come close to inhabiting. I mean, she brings this thing, this character, this story to life in a way that... Um, it's very humbling for me as the guy who wrote it and who acts alongside her in it. Um, and it's, I'm excited for, for people who are familiar with her work to get yet another level of the depth of talent that this woman brings to cinema. It's really amazing. And also, I, you have some pretty great leads for your movie. There's some good... The baby is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> baby steals the show. Uh, the baby was actually played by twins. Uh, yeah, they... Um, Reagan and Maddie, they were so awesome. Uh, and the only problem with our poor babies was that they didn't cry as much as we needed them to. <laughs> what so a we had to do a lot of sound design because they were just <laughs> such sweet, happy, easy babies. Um, and this is my second collaboration with Colin Shifley, who directed the film, and he's super talented and such a, a wonderful friend. And um, so many awesome talents came to play. David Koechner and Jen Morrison and the incredible John Doe, who plays uh, my uncle in the film. And... Uh, Oh God, that guy's so good. So yeah, I love seeing Dave Koechner play such an earnest performance that wasn't like he's always that guy, and it was mm -hmm. great to see not playing against type, but playing a different type. Everyone in this role, they got to play roles that were so juicy and powerful and heartfelt. And I liked that when this movie came out, the buzz around it was an indie opportunity for these Marvel actors to play in a different wheelhouse. Yep. And when I was watching it, I was thinking, I love blockbusters, but man, I miss movies like this. And I really appreciated the fact that I forgot the late 80s, early 90s sensibilities of movies just being this low to mid-range budget and having all the heart you need to keep you going. And this movie never sacrificed heart for story. And it was a hard story to tell. When you were writing it, 
was it a hard sell to get anyone behind it Absolutely. to get actors and like it's very hard very hard in the beginning i so i had been living with the story for a very long time i'd say decades i'd just been creating this narrative that i thought was really interesting and interesting narratives are a very important part of filmmaking mm-hmm. but they're not everything so the plot and these characters the idea behind it a little bit of steinbeck a little very steinbeck i mean yeah. he is one of the hugest inspirations for me artistically you know john steinbeck tennessee williams sam shepherd carson mccullers all you know, theater and lit American writers that had a huge impact on me and that spoke voice that their, their voices reflected a truth from the place where I'm from, which is the Midwest of America as well. And I felt like um, Steinbeck in particular has always shown as a light to me and and what I hope to achieve as a storyteller. So this movie is a love letter in one sense for my my love of of John Steinbeck's um, you know story and craft, and then. Films like Badlands, um, mm. which is legendary classic and inspired me a lot, uh, and I've watched it numerous times in my in my life. Films like Raising Arizona, mm-hmm. which I've always felt like, granted, that's a straight up um, wacky comedy, but it's also got so much heart, and the moments that it catches you are, you know, can be all the feelings. So, so I, so I, I've been living with that plot, living with that plot, living with this idea, thinking about this idea. This, I, I really knew, I, I saw the plot in my mind, but what was missing from it was the why. Like, I didn't have the question. I always have to have a question when I'm trying to write a story. And I, something like basically uh, within my, my family, my immediate family, about six years ago, um, seven years ago, there was kind of a bombshell revelation of sorts about um, uh, one of the really important members of the family circle and uh, child abuse that had taken place. Um, and, and, and it was something that once it was verbalized, I was like, oh, oh my God, yes. Like we all knew, were aware of, or in proxy to, and yet something that had gone for decades just being buried in in the family cellar, if you will, of, mm. of, of, of crap that we all do collectively as families. We, you know, sometimes just push things down and sometimes they're left uh, and you hope that they never resurrect. And sometimes when they resurrect, you realize that we never killed that zombie. It's <laughs> more powerful than ever. And so then... This, the, 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 the things started really clicking for me and thinking about Ruby and Jensen. Yes, they've, they've taken these things that they feel have been denied them, just like so many people in our culture have been denied so much for reasons that are both we can call fair, unfair, whatever. That's mm-hmm. not for me to decide. But she, Ruby wants a baby. She wants a family so bad. And for reasons we don't know yet, she can't have one. And she starts a family. Mm-hmm. Jensen wants some financial security for once. He wants to feel like he can support her, take something that's not theirs. They have to go on the run. They have to go back to where they're from. And now they're hiding um, and yet having to confront the thing that they've been hiding from their whole life. So that's what started me typing. I finished the script. Colin, my director, was on one side. Eve was on the other when I started typing. Literally, we were on a plane flying to go talk about our movie Animals, and they both read it because they read everything as soon as I finish. Um, they're my first line of defense, and they both said, like, this is the best thing you've written. Let's go get it made. So then this, the process started, and luckily um, I work in other films as an actor, so I'm able to interact with people, and I was working on a wonderful film called Chronic, and the producers on that read the script, loved it, helped introduce it to another producer who started helping putting financing together. That producer, really, they all kind of wanted a chance to ask if any more maybe name actors would be interested in playing the role of, of, of Ruby, and I said, you can go ahead and send. They think they're going to send it to like three different people, and I was like, "No one's going to, no one's going to say yes. That's fine." <laughs> and Karen Gillan's agent gave her the script, and she read it, and she came right over and met with us and said, "I really loved this film, and I would love to be a part of it." And 
crazy. That, crazy. That's, I, I personally, as I mean, this is Collider Heroes, so I have a strong love of that world, but I personally love that actors that are in these tent poles get to do the smaller films in between. They get to invest their time in these other things. And then people might find them because of their love of Nebula. Like someone might find a film they might not otherwise see. And that's an amazing thing about cinema is the highs and lows of budgets doesn't mean the highs and lows of quality because yeah. they're both such strong films that couldn't be more different and they might find the same audience. And, and that's I'm, amazing. I'm so grateful that I get to be a part for so many reasons. Obviously the, the, the nine year old first holding an Avengers kid in me that is, <laughs> that has been obsessed with comic books and this culture. Okay. So and- yeah, we have to talk yeah, about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. You've got some <laughs> fandoms of your own you're bringing to the table. But that's that's my that, that that I get to do that and then make small films and they feed one another. They really do. I learn so much on the big sets. I interact with the best artists and then they help me give advice on my little films. It's a great uh, ebb and flow, if you will. But yes, I mean, you know, Kansas City. Let's go back to the '80s all okay, of a sudden, okay. and I am. You know, walking into that 7-Eleven uh, on 103rd and Mastin, and I think it was actually called a minute stop uh, at that time. It's now a 7-Eleven, I believe. But I, I, it is spinning rack, and there was an Avengers number 249, and it had a, a bunch of the Avengers were lined up, and, I, and, and, and they're, facing, they're facing us as if it's a camera shot, ready to fight. And I just... I was obsessed, and I took it home, and I traced and drew on it, and I, <laughs> and I still have it. In fact, when I met Stan for the first time, Stan Lee, um, I brought that with me to show him that I've kept every comic wow. since the first one I bought. And he took it without even asking, but I'm glad he did it. And he had a sharpen. He said, and, and I'll, I'll tell you the beginning part of the story first, but he said, what's your, name? What's your son's name again? I said, oh, Arlo. And he wrote, to my good friend Arlo, <laughs> Stanley, and he signed it to my son. I have it framed above my desk. But um, right before that, I had said, you know, I've kept every comic that I've ever bought. And I started with a Marvel comic, and, um, and I'm keeping them. So someday I'm so excited to give them to my kids, but I'm also afraid I'm going to show them my comics one day, and then they're going to be like, me, how do I throw a curveball? Or something? I'm be like, I don't know that. I can tell you, like, you know. When X Factor was formed, blah, blah, blah. Like, no, they don't <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. want to hear that. Uh, but whatever. Yeah, I, I have to. From the beginning of your comic career, uh, is is a movie that's hugely important to me. I'm a giant Dark Knight fan. Uh, I think that the Dark Knight is is. I hate to say the bar because that's not a fair statement, but man, it is when people really started taking them seriously, and you got to be part of that. And that was that was the very beginning of your career. How was it to be on that scale of movie from the beginning? And and I got to hear about Heath Ledger because I mean Heath Ledger is, is everything to me. It was uh, it was it was everything that you could possibly probably imagine being somebody from our background and someone who was so obsessed with and and so so yeah the Marvel superheroes were always my favorite and the DC villains were always my favorite mm. and the Joker of course is one of my favorite characters in modern literature and I think in the modern mythology and the mythos what he represents and what scares us so much about him and yet why we still want to keep watching the car crash is the brilliance of of that character. So I knew that he was going to be a part of the second film because I love Begins. I knew that they were filming in Chicago, and here I was, uh, an actor struggling to start making a living. I was doing some commercials, but mostly theater, um, doing plays in the city. And they, yeah, they held auditions for the bank heist clowns, and I got to go in for that. And from that audition, the casting director, God bless him, brought me in the next day to, 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 to read for, for Mr. Nolan. And uh, they decided that I would be right for this other role. So fast forward, that didn't all happen quickly. You know, I, I auditioned and then I didn't hear anything and I knew that they shot the bank high sequence. So I was devastated. But the, the fan that I am, I was doing Othello, I think six days a week 
two shows on the weekends and we were off on Mondays, but they were filming The Dark Knight on Mondays and Monday nights. And I would look online, find out where they were filming. And I'd go with my little, I still had, I didn't have a cell phone camera that I liked yet. I was using a click and disposable. <laughs> and I would go to sets and stand behind the barricade and just watch, hoping I'd catch a glimpse of any of the process. Four months later is when they offered me the role of the thug um, without telling me any details about the character. And I showed up to work, my first day of work, having been fitted into this cop uniform. And I asked, why am I dressed like a policeman? I was told I was one of the Joker's henchmen. And they said, oh, they're very secretive. You'll, you'll, you'll find out when you're meant to. And, uh, and I walked into the hair and makeup trailer, um, which is always a magical place. I love going, like in, when you start your day as an actor, you get to set, you know, you go to your trailer or whatever. Sometimes you get in your wardrobe and, and sometimes you don't uh, to start the day, but you will always go and, and go to hair and makeup. And, and the first people that you interact with is that team of artists. Mm -hmm. That team of artists was a very special group of people on that film. And it was a day that we were shooting one of the big parade, um, the funeral parade sequences. And um, so everyone was in the trailer. And I mean everyone. It was Gary Oldman and Christian Bale and Maggie Gyllenhaal and Aaron Eckhart and um, Nestor Carbonell and all these actors who I love so much. And then at the end was Heath Ledger. And he had his music on and he was getting the Joker makeup applied. And I just... And I was afraid to talk to him because I know I'm playing a small role and I don't want to be annoying and I also want to respect people's boundaries. He came up to me and welcomed me that day. We talked all the time. He was super cool, super down to earth. He was, um, I was, as, I was, I was close. I was, I was like this, I was that close, like <laughs> trying to peek at the makeup. Uh, <laughs> And being blown away that I was standing next to the Joker. And the first interaction we had, which is really funny, I, I, I'm sure I've told this story before, but um, uh, I said, uh, I, I, he said, how's it going? I said, this, this is crazy. This is insane. I can't believe this. And he said, yeah, I can't believe it either. And I said, you know, when I first heard um, that you were going to play the Joker, I thought that was a terrible idea. <laughs> Just funny. I didn't say like mean. I was joking. But I, I, I mean, I remember when I heard he was cast as the Joker. I was like, really? What? Really? The, I mean, I think he's a good actor, but the Joker. And he goes, he's, this is so perfect. He was like, yeah. He's like, so did I. <laughs> <laughs> and we hit it off from that point forward. Uh, he was always so sweet to me and so cool and so kind. And he, like Karen Gillan, like all of my favorite actors I, I've ever been able to you know be in the share space with or perform around um watching him fascinated me because he was such a warm humble soft-spoken gentleman talking maybe about um you know um chicago or music or something and then he'd need to go shoot and he he just his mastery of his craft and his talent and his ability to become a character that was unrecognizable it's that's magic to me. I mean, it, it's craft, it's skill, it's talent, it's a lot of things, it's discipline. But there is a magical quality when somebody is this guy talking to you about something, and then you know, oh, excuse, I'm sorry, I'll be right back, and then they're just like something else. Yeah, that's insane. And you've been able to transition into both sides of this comic lore, starting with that, and and like you know, Ant Man, the hair is as important as anything else. Like you talked about the hair being an important part of the process. If yeah, so we're gonna... speaking of 
transformative. <laughs> Folks who follow, like, let's say, who see this movie and then go back and catch up on Ant Man are going to get something quite different. Quite different. How did quite you come to the, the comedy side of it? You've done Shakespeare, you've done Dark Knight. How do you land in Ant Man? The comedy side of things, I was very lucky because comedy is not a skill set for me at all, and I it scares the poop out of me. And I <laughs> and I went to so I auditioned. God bless Sarah Finn. She brought me into. A, she knows what a comic book nerd I am. She brought me into audition for Kurt in the original incarnation of Ant Man, which at that point was being directed by Edgar Wright, mm-hmm. and um, she, I, I came in full character, very different looking character than who we now see in, in the Ant-Man movies. I had shaggier hair and a gold chain and stuff, but it was in that ballpark. So I did my audition. Then she brought me back to read for Edgar, and I read with Edgar. And then I got to do a test, which is where they bring you to Disney, and they have a set, kind of basic set set up with cameras, and they have the actors that are up for the roles. And at that point, the gang, the 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 wombats, if you will, was were there was more than three of us in that script. At that time, I want to say there was maybe six guys in the gang um, that were this like crew, this heist crew. So there's a lot of guys there who are testing for these roles. And what they do is then they have some scripted scenes. But Paul's obviously been cast at this point. He's there. Michael Pena has been cast at this point. He's there. And they want to um, see how we interact with them and how we do scenes. So we're doing scenes. And I'm like, I'm dead in the water, you guys. Because all these guys who were around me were very funny and really good. And I could tell they were going to, like, bring it. So my strategy was, because I felt like my character was very um, sardonic and, like, could give could give a crap. Can I say crap? He's <laughs> just going to sit back. So I just sit back like on the couch with um, pretend coffee, like uh, watching them do scene. And whenever I get line, maybe I drop one little bit. Because there was so much amazing fireworks of comedy happening. I felt like I got really lucky that I made that choice because it kind of stood out in that crowd because um, it was just like a little bit. So, so needless to say, we then went into like a green room in between and Paul was really nice to me. And he was like, that was, that was really funny. And, and, um, and then, and then the fast forward, as we all know, there ended up being a creative difference between Marvel and Edgar. Edgar ended up leaving the film and I found out that, you know, oh my gosh, now I'm, I had been cast at this point and now Edgar's gone and the film's going to completely change. I don't know what's going to happen. And will I be a part of this? I didn't know find out maybe a month or two later they found a new director it's peyton reed i'm a huge fan of peyton's i'd never met him before um then i got a call from my manager another month after that you're going to go to atlanta to do a test and so i'm thinking okay i have to do another audition another test so i fly to atlanta and i was sitting in a small table and there was evangeline Lilly and paul rudd and michael pena and marvel executives and they were showing us the ant-man helmet and they were doing like a demonstration of stuff and i'm still just like this is cruel of them if they if i have to go through this and i don't get this role and then peyton comes over and he's like david it's been so crazy sorry we haven't gotten to talk but i'm so excited to have you here and i was like here in like what way (laughs) and i'm like i i thought we're doing like a test he's like no, we're doing, we're doing, we're doing camera tests. He's like, we're doing look tests, like of your hair and your costume. You're in my movie. He's like, you're in my movie. And I was like, <sighs> okay. So rapid fire. Rapid fire. Rapid hit fire. Hit before hit me, hit we me. have to go, okay, we know okay. you're a fan. Yes. You reading anything good lately? Oh, I was just, I just finished Monstrous on my mm. way in, and I felt like that's the level and layer of storytelling that we 
should all be like aspiring to with comics because man it's dense it's almost Frank Herbert dense you know it's mm-hmm. like I love it it's really great Marjorie uh, Liu writes uh, Santa Takeda Draws uh, she won the Eisner last year y'all know if you're watching Collider Heroes nice pick uh, gateway drug for a comic fan if they haven't read any comics N- haven't read anything yeah, yet like if they're just coming in blind a pick up a detective comics I feel like that's such a good way to get hooked into art and story and plot and character and the villains are always the best I mean I love the Cape Crusader don't get me wrong but it's just something about the people that whoop his ass make me to fill me with joy and I have to bring this up because the desk we're at. One, I'm excited for Dune like you wouldn't believe. I'm so excited. Oh, yeah. And Baba Yaga is one of my favorite lines in Marvel. So congratulations on that moment. But Peyton Reed, giant MODOK fan. John Schnepp, who began this world, is the biggest MODOK fan I know in the world. Finding out Peyton was a MODOK fan made me very happy. You actually introduced me to a MODOK item I didn't know existed. Yes. There is an ice cube maker yep. that prints out MODOKs. Yeah. The, as a final story, how did you find this beautiful thing? So I got this amazing uh, package from Loot Crate. I love Loot Crate, and I love getting like just just bundles of nerd goodness. Okay, but there was one that was um, it was it was it was coming around the time of the first Ant Man, and so it had a lot of Ant Man centric stuff in it, which was so cool. So I ended up getting a bunch more because there was like a measuring glass that had uh, in- incremental sizes from <laughs> Ant up to Hank Pym. There was yes. um, plates. There was some really neat stuff, but. The Modoc ice cube maker. It's like, you know, those fancy kind, like you'd have like a highball, you put a big cube in it, but it's Modoc. And I, so I sent, I got extras sent to Peyton and Peyton freaked out, man. He loved it. And uh, here's the funny thing. I think that I am the, the biggest nerd. Like I'll show up on set and I think that I know everything about, about stuff. And Peyton, um, is such a passionate devotee to comic books and, and his understanding and his, you know, how he works in that world. I think it, it reflects in, in how good of uh, a filmmaker he is, but it's really fun for me when we get to geek out about some of Because I'm an obscure guy. You know, I mean, my favorite characters are Morbius and Moon Knight, and um, I was a West Coast Avengers collector. I wasn't... A, I bought a first comic was an Avengers, but I actually started in third third grade, going into fourth grade. It was that monthly arrival of my West Coast Avengers or going to my comic shop, um, those... Tigra, Wonder Man, those are characters oh, that I really get excited about. Yes. Well, as Suicide Squad develops, we'd love to have you back on because we could talk just that for an hour, but your movie is incredible. Wanted to make sure it got all of the love. Congratulations on that going forward after Thank five you. years of, of moving and grooving. Uh, One Suicide Squad is more talk aboutable. Would love to dive into that as well. I've not Thank heard of so that much. movie. <laughs> <laughs> so Thank you, so you guys. No, seriously, it means a lot, and I really appreciate it, and I'm really proud of this, so thank you for, for letting me come talk to you Absolutely, about it. You absolutely should be. It's a magical film. Congrats on Sam Golden. Congrats on it existing, and congrats on a movie this good and this type of film getting to be made. I, I Check out the movie May 17th. May 17th. Oh, thank yep. you guys so much. Thanks for joining us. And thank you. Until next week, stay sweaty, guys, and check out Clatter Heroes every Tuesday. See you guys. Every Tuesday. Napa Know How. This month, Napa's got all kinds of motor oil deals that can save you some serious cash, like a five-quart jug of Napa Full Synthetic Motor Oil for just $16.49. With savings like that, you may start feeling like a VIP, but don't let it go to your head. These oil deals are for everyone. Quality parts, helpful people. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. General state's pricing. Sales price does not include applicable state local taxes or recycling fees. Offer ends 831.20. It's that little Chico Pitbull, Mr. 305, but it said Mr. Worldwide. You already know what it is. Listen to my new podcast from Negative to Positive. Subscribe today. Now, part of the things that we're doing over here at Negative to Positive is encouraging people to change their lives, change the things that are within their power. 
I want to thank our good friends at KFC for helping me bring this to you. Feed your whole crew with KFC Let's Go. I can get the KFC bucket of chicken, and you know, that's fire. Now, Bobo, you know that you could get that mac and cheese, that mashed potato, gravy, those biscuits. Now, that's that's trouble right there. That is fire right there. You know, on Negative to Positive, we're always talking about striving and achievement, and, and the Colonel Sanders story is, is a story that inspired me since I was 10 years old. Look how life comes full circle. Now I'm talking about Colonel Sanders and Kentucky Fried Chicken and how much I love it. <laughs> Listen to my new podcast from Negative to Positive. Check out the vodcast. Subscribe today. Apple Podcast. Podcast One. Spotify.